After what happened against the Missouri Tigers this past Saturday afternoon, and depending on what could happen against the Vanderbilt Commodores, the Vanderbilt and Florida matchups are now must-win games for South Carolina. I'll discuss why and more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And we're going to continue the discussion today on South Carolina's football team, the significance of both the Vanderbilt matchup and the Florida matchup that is upcoming. I'm also going to give you all a quick preview of Vanderbilt's defense, what they run from a formation standpoint, who are some players to watch on their defense, and how could the Gamecocks attack this Commodore defensive unit. And lastly, I'll talk about a big-time tight end target from the 2024 class who announced his top eight list that included the Gamecocks and discuss why he could be such a big get for Shane Beamer and this staff. But as I mentioned in the opening for today's show... The Vanderbilt and Florida matchups, make no mistake about it, these are both games now after what happened against Missouri this past Saturday. And again, depending on how things play out against Vanderbilt on Saturday afternoon, both of these games could be must win for South Carolina. And there's a few reasons why I make this statement. Obviously, you could throw out the Missouri loss as a big reason why the Vanderbilt game is a must-win game because, obviously, the last thing that South Carolina needs to do right now is to go out there against a team that is widely recognized, not just by the SEC, but all college football, as the worst team in the conference and lose to them. You own a 13-game winning streak against them. Talent-wise, on paper, again, the stats might not back it up completely, but on paper, you are above and beyond way more talented than this Vanderbilt Commodores roster. You have no reason to mess around with this team for anything past maybe the first quarter of a football game. So, for that simple reason alone, you cannot lose to Vanderbilt. I would also argue that you cannot have a bad showing against Vanderbilt. I think if you're South Carolina, you have got to go out there and you've got to put this game out of reach by a certain time in this football game. Say, maybe late in the third quarter, halfway through the third quarter, or, you know, best case scenario, by halftime. Make it to where Vanderbilt does not have any chance to make the game interesting at the end of the day. And then for the Florida game, gosh knows, if it turns into doomsday scenario in the Vanderbilt game and South Carolina loses that game, or maybe they squeak it out at the very end, then you've got this whole narrative that is going to snowball about South Carolina's football program in the week leading up to the Florida matchup, which is this program is stuck in neutral right now. They're not 
necessarily going backwards, but they're also not really going forwards based on what the expectations were heading into this football season. The Florida Gators are being led by first-year head coach in Billy Napier. Now, of course, the jury is still out on how Billy Napier will do as the Gators' head coach. I personally don't believe that long-term it will work out, but again, that's just my personal opinion. Obviously, Billy Napier could go out there and prove me and a lot of other people wrong. He has recruited at a very high level at Florida so far. The Gators did get an impressive opening season victory against the Utah Utes, led by Kyle Whittingham, who was a very established head coach in the world of college football, and You know, they kept things close against the Tennessee Volunteers, which right now looks way better than it did in week three or four when they played them. The big thing with that matchup, Billy Napier is a first-year head coach. It's the first time that he's ever been a play caller at a minimum in the SEC. He did have a previous stop at Alabama under Nick Saban, but I don't believe he was really anything beyond maybe the pass game coordinator, which is basically just used to give a title to a coach in order for them to be able to make a little bit more cash on their paychecks. Let's be honest. That's really and truthfully all it is for the most part. Shane Beamer cannot afford to lose a game against a first-year head coach in Billy Napier. And I lead this back to what I talked about back in the summer. For those of you who are longtime listeners now, at least it feels like longtime listeners, or viewers of the show, you've heard me talk about perception before. You've heard me talk about how important it is to change perception because perception, if it remains a certain way for a long enough period of time can seem like reality and maybe even turn into reality. And what Shane Beamer has got to be careful with, right now, he has fallen behind Josh Heupel in the SEC East arms race that I described back in the summertime. He is sort of neck and neck with Mark Stoops at Kentucky, I believe, based on the fact that they won that game against Kentucky, although many people nationally would still say it was because Will Levis did not play. He would probably be viewed as having a better program right now than Missouri, but... The Missouri Monkey is still on the Gamecocks' back right now. The Gamecocks, once again, could not get it done against the Tigers, despite the notion that I just told all of you. And then you have Florida, a team that is viewed as a historic program in this conference, one that, for the most part, does not expect to lose to teams like South Carolina, admittedly, but South Carolina has gotten Florida their share of times over the last 10, 15 years or so, including last year when they won, I believe, 40-17 or 42-20. They annihilated the Gators. Now, the Gators would say, well, at that point, the team had quit on Dan Mullen. There was an illness going around, and, you know, it was just a recipe for disaster considering the fact that it was after the Georgia game and it was on the road. Of course, South Carolina started a quarterback in that game that before then had only played Division III football his entire college career, but that never gets brought up in the equation. I digress on that. The point being is Shane Beamer cannot afford to fall behind in terms of perception to Billy Napier at Florida. And again, that's not me trying to say that Billy Napier is a bad coach. He could turn out to be a good coach. But if you're Shane Beamer, you want to show these recruits in 2024 and 2025 and beyond that they need to be looking at South Carolina first and teams like Florida second. You cannot lose games like this, especially with the season you've had to this point, which, 
you know, some people, some people have said that this is a lost season. I don't believe that. I don't buy into that notion. Not at least right now. And the, what I'm getting at with that statement is it seemed like that this team up to this point this season had the potential to do more than what they've actually done. Again, they are still 5-3. and three. You know, for most teams, you would pat yourself on the back for that. But this South Carolina football team had higher expectations than 5-3. and three. And you look at this Vanderbilt matchup, what happened last year. You look at Florida and the talent they still have on that roster. The fact it is a road game in Gainesville. And that's not even looking at Tennessee and Clemson. In the final two weeks of this season, two college football playoff contending teams right now. If you lose either Vanderbilt or Florida or gosh knows both, this thing could, I don't want to say it's going to go off the rails completely, but this season will not just be viewed as a lost season. It'll be viewed as a disaster. There will be way more questions brought up about much more than just one particular coach on this staff if things were to play out in that fashion. So, for that reason, South Carolina, you need to win these next couple of games if you want to avoid all of that from happening. Now, the Gamecocks are playing the Vanderbilt Commodores this upcoming weekend, and the Commodores are 3-5 and five in terms of their win-loss record, which might make some of you think that, you know, the Commodores don't have a whole lot of good players on their roster. But the truth is, the Commodores definitely have some studs on the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to try to force you to really have to be consistent in order to beat them. And I'm going to explain how they do that in just a few moments. But first, this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by our friends over at Nissan. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup from Nissan are intended to empower drivers in vehicles that are capable of driving themselves. When I think of unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, I think back to South Carolina's game-winning touchdown last season against Vanderbilt. When Shane Beamer inserts semi-retired graduate assistant Zeb Nolan in at quarterback, and he led the Gamecocks from their own 25-yard line all the way down to the Commodore's 9-yard line in just one minute. On the ensuing play, Zeb Nolan took the shotgun snap and patiently sat back in the pocket and found Xavier Leggett streaking across the back of the end zone, firing a pellet right in front of the goalpost for what would be the game-winning touchdown, helping the Gamecocks escape with a 21-20 victory and their 12th straight win over the Commodores. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new design features across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so let's start doing a little bit of a deep dive into the Gamecocks' upcoming opponent in the Vanderbilt Commodores. And on today's show, we're going to talk about Vanderbilt's defense. Now, in order to figure out what this defense will bring to the football field on Saturday night in Nashville, Tennessee, I went back and watched Vanderbilt's game against Northern Illinois due to the fact that Northern Illinois runs a multiple 
offense. Basically, that does a lot of different things in terms of formation and their concepts. I did not use the Bama or Georgia game, despite those teams having a much more similar offense compared to South Carolina's, because I just didn't feel like that was really fair in order to get a good judgment of what this Commodores team could do on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, the talent disparity is just way too large there. So that's my reasoning for why I picked this game. So overall, Vanderbilt has a bend-but-don't-break defense that pretty much tries to keep everything in front of them. And I'm going to explain this as I go along. In terms of their play calling, Vanderbilt mainly runs a 4-2-5 defense, but they also run formations like a 4-3, a 5-2 formation, which they will use especially when they think you're going to run the football. They also have a 3-2-6 and unique 2-4-5 formation as well, which they will use sparingly throughout the football game. Now, in terms of certain situational calls, if Vanderbilt's opponent goes up-tempo on offense, they will sell out on the run pretty much like 90-95% of the time based on this Northern Illinois game by putting more defenders in the box and having the rest of the defenders in very soft zone coverage just in case it is an actual passing play. So, when looking at that aspect of their defense... I would say that if I'm South Carolina, I am definitely going to try to utilize a lot more play action this weekend against Vanderbilt, and I would call a lot more play action rollout plays specifically, which should work great against this defense if they're going to sell out on the run like this based on the down in formation and, you know, the fact that you're going up-tempo. So basically, if you're going to go tempo on offense, don't just run it up the middle every single time. Vanderbilt is going to assume that's exactly what you're going to do, and they will stuff you just purely based on strength in numbers if that is the strategy heading into this game. They will also run man coverage across the board when near the goal line, which is a bit of a surprise to me, you know, because Vanderbilt, in terms of coverage based on what they usually run, doesn't seem like they're really built for man coverage in really any situation. But I guess if you are going to run man coverage in any spot on the field, it would be near the goal line or to get immediate pressure on those opposing wide receivers. So if I'm South Carolina, again, I'm not going to try to be predictable running the ball in terms of of when we're running tempo and when I get near the goal line I'm going to really try to call some quick one cut routes for the receivers in order to give them the best chance to get open against the Commodore defensive backs now in terms of blitz twist and stunt packages or play calls that they utilize Vanderbilt will blatantly show blitz in one area of the field But blitz from a completely different area. Basically, imagine the Commodores bringing down a safety from the third level all the way near the line of scrimmage. That guy will creep up like he is going to blitz, but when the play actually gets snapped, he will then go back into coverage, and a linebacker, say, from the other side of the formation will be the one that actually careens right on in there and tries to get to the quarterback. Vanderbilt does not blitz necessarily a whole lot in terms of just bringing an extra defender, but they will bring that fourth rusher or fifth rusher, depending on the formation, from different areas of the football field. Again, just to simply try and keep the offensive line and the quarterback subsequently on their toes. So if I'm South Carolina, I'm not going to keep too many blockers back in this game. I'm not going to call as many six and seven man protection schemes against this defense except for maybe the running back at times being kept in the pocket as an extra pass protector. Otherwise, 
Just let all the tight ends go out for passes for the most part on those passing plays when Vanderbilt shows this to you. Now, in terms of coverage, Vanderbilt, as I mentioned, is a bend-but-don't-break defense, which pretty much means there's going to be a high frequency of soft zone calls here, which means that Vanderbilt, at times, is going to give the Gamecock wideouts 7 to 10 yards of cushion. So, simply put, this should allow for a lot of opportunities for Marcus Satterfield and this offensive staff to call a lot more underneath routes for the Gamecocks on the football field. So basically, all those screens that they like to call, or any swing passes, any hitch routes, comeback routes, you can throw all of those out there against the Commodores defense. Yes, you are kind of playing into their hands by just going mainly with those play calls, but eventually, if you have enough success with those play calls, Vanderbilt's going to have to start respecting that, and they'll have to at least start sending guys you know, up just a couple yards closer to the line of scrimmage. Maybe it's only five yards of cushion instead of like seven or eight. And that can be used to set up some play-action shot plays. And also subsequently, if you're attacking the perimeter a lot, split those linebackers up in that box and then try to get the interior run game going, especially if Marshawn Lloyd is healthy and good to go in this game, which again, it seems like he could be, but you never know. We'll learn more about that, of course, as the week progresses. Now, in terms of defensive execution, this Vanderbilt Commodore defense, I will admit, they're probably not the most talented defense the Gamecocks are going to face all year, and the numbers back that up. But this is a Vanderbilt team that does play quite hard on defense. They will rally to the football. They'll have multiple guys that are coming towards any ball carriers. They do the little things right for the most part as a collective unit. And a couple of extra things as well, like getting their hands up on passes when they're in short field coverage in the open field. They do a pretty good job of this. They had a couple big-time pass deflections near the line of scrimmage against Northern Illinois that helped propel the Commodores to a victory up there. They also got certain defensive linemen like B.J. Diakite, Linus Zunk, and Michael Owusu who were very disruptive, particularly on zone runs. The Huskies were a predominantly zone-blocking offense with what they did up front. They called a lot of zone runs against the Commodores' defense. And while they did see some success throughout the course of the football game, Vanderbilt's got a few defensive linemen who are pretty good in terms of fighting off reach blocks and essentially closing off certain lanes for the running back to cut into. So, again, it's not consistent in this defensive front, but they do have some dudes who can defend zone runs quite well. So this might not be the game to rely as heavily on those zone runs going to the edge of the field. Now, when looking at the Commodores' best players, they've got two guys that really stuck out to me when watching this game back against Northern Illinois. The first guy was actually defensive back in Jalen Mahoney, who, in my opinion, is by far the best tackler on that entire football team. He is really solid, especially as a DB, in terms of his pursuit angles and how he ends up, you know, approaching a ball carrier. He aims basically for the hips all the way down to the lower half when he goes to make the tackle. So more often than not, he ends up bringing guys down without a problem. He also does pretty well in press coverage when he is given that opportunity. So in terms of an all-around defensive back and defensive player overall, Jalen Mahoney, who's number 21 for the Commodores, I think is their best player. 
And a close second to Jalen Mahoney would be linebacker Anthony Orji, who is a solid run stuffer in terms of being able to close off gaps, but most importantly, sift through all the trash in the blocking scheme. Get past blockers that don't mean anything to him because he has a meeting with whoever has the football. That is the way that Anthony Orji plays football, and it's really awesome to watch, honestly. It's just an objective football fan. Now, he's also really good at scraping over the top of outside runs and meeting ball carriers on the edge. And he does not overextend himself. He is not a guy that is going to run himself out of position more often than not. He is very good at keeping his eyes downfield and not being as heavily reliant on what's going on in front of him with the defensive and offensive linemen. He's also a very powerful football player. He can deliver quite the blow to offensive linemen, especially when he gets ahead of steam. And he also is pretty good in terms of play recognition, especially in terms of slip screens with running backs. He blew up multiple slip screen plays against the Huskies in that win for the Commodores. So Anthony Orgy and Jalen Mahoney, those are the two guys to watch from this Vanderbilt defense. So to summarize Vanderbilt's defense once again, real quick, they are pretty much a bend but don't break defense. They play a lot of soft zone coverage. They're not going to be as aggressive unless you are running tempo on offense, in which case they will put some extra defenders in the box. And they have some defensive linemen who can play outside zone runs quite well. And they got a couple real solid players in Jalen Mahoney, number 21 in the defensive backfield, and Anthony Orgy, who I believe is number zero in that linebacker unit. Both those guys are real solid tacklers, and they make their presence felt on pretty much every given play for this Commodore's defense. Now, of course... The South Carolina Gamecocks are also looking to the future, looking for guys who they would like to add to this roster in order to try and keep things moving in the right direction for this program. And they have one particular tight end target who seems like he is really reciprocating the interest that the Gamecocks have shown him. And I'm going to talk about that prospect and more in just a couple of moments. But first of all, let's have a serious talk about something real quick. I know that There's probably some of you out there who wouldn't want to admit this, of course, to pretty much anybody that maybe even you know, but you're dealing with an issue in terms of excessive underarm sweat, and maybe just more than the usual sweat that you might get whenever you go on a run, or maybe you go to the gym to get a quick lift in, and some of you, maybe this is an issue for you even in your job, which can really be such an inconvenience on your life, which is why I want to recommend to all of you, if you fit that billing, that you check out Sweat Block which has changed the game for a lot of people. And if you're still maybe a little bit hesitant to buy into Sweatblock, get this. Sweatblock was created by a doctor who is dealing with the same issue. So therefore, the product is automatically doctor-recommended, which I don't really know any other product that you could possibly want considering that circumstance. So if you or someone you love or care about is experiencing excessive underarm sweat or odor that is getting in the way of their everyday life or your everyday life, try Sweatblock today and save 20% with the promo code LOCKEDON at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon.
Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. The South Carolina Gamecocks had a big-time tight end target announce his top eight on Monday afternoon, and that top eight did include the South Carolina Gamecocks. And that prospect that I've been referring to is 2024 tight end Michael Smith. And along with the Gamecocks, he had the Tennessee Volunteers, Ohio State Buckeyes, Alabama Crimson Tide, Florida Gators, Arkansas Razorbacks, Texas Longhorns, and Penn State Nittany Lions also on this list. Now, why is this recruitment important? Well, right now, of course, the Gamecocks have a pretty good situation going in the tight end room. They have guys like Austin Stogner, Jakeem Bell, Nate Atkins, who all bring their different skill sets to the table and all really bring a lot of value to the offense. But the problem is South Carolina has a lot of upperclassmen in that room right now. Austin Stogner and Nate Atkins are both grad transfer seniors. So basically, this is their last year of college football. Jaheim Bell is a draft-eligible junior. Travion Keenan is also a draft-eligible junior. Out of those four guys, I could see three of them being gone after this season. Now, South Carolina has gotten two tight end commitments from the 2023 recruiting cycle in Connor Cox and Cameron Sandlin. But the Gamecocks arguably need more than just those two guys at this spot. So Michael Smith is a target on their board, and for good reason. I went back and watched his junior film up to this point from 3A Cavalry Day High School in Savannah, Georgia, and there's a lot to like about Michael Smith. He has the ability to make catches in traffic when there's defenders right in front of his vicinity when the ball is arriving. He's also got a lot of great dexterity and balance for his size, being six foot four, 225 pounds, depending on which recruiting profile you look at. And that makes him a real hard player to bring down. You cannot go... You cannot just go up to this guy and just try to make an arm tackle attempt. You really got to be fundamentally sound when you are approaching Michael Smith and trying to bring him down. He's also a willing run blocker when his number is called in that role. Now, again, he is playing 3A high school football in Georgia, so it might not be a it might not be possible to get a completely accurate read on just how good of a run blocker he is. And, you know, maybe how good he is in certain other aspects. But again, that's stuff that the Gamecock coaching staff can find out over time and also work around, you know, maybe any of those areas at South Carolina if he were to commit to the Gamecocks. But another thing about Michael Smith is he has got great hand-eye coordination because he's got a wide catch radius. And he also is really good at being able to read the football's flight path as it's traveling down towards him and sticking out his hands basically right where the football is going. He is phenomenal at this because you watch a lot of receivers playing high school or college football, high school football especially, Those these wide receivers are having to pretty much stare at the football all the way down up until it's basically right where they are on the football field. And... Michael Smith is so good in this area that I just accidentally referred to him as a wide receiver. And he pretty much is a modern-day receiving tight end who has some great athletic tools to work with. And again, he's extremely advanced in terms of his hand-eye coordination. So 
again, there are some questions to be had in terms of the competition level that he has played at Calvary Day High School in Savannah, but I think that he could be a really solid player at the next level, and that's also evidenced by the fact that you know he has all of these historic football programs in his top eight list that I mentioned just a few moments ago. And another reason why this recruitment is so important, South Carolina only has really one other major 2024 tight end target right now where there is a certain level of mutual interest really between both programs, and that is Kylan Fox. The issue with that recruitment is the Georgia Bulldogs also happen to like Kylan Fox a lot. They have made this known throughout the recruiting process, and it seems like Kylan Fox has especially reciprocated the interest with the Georgia Bulldogs. And with how they use tight ends in that offense led by Todd Munkin, um, Gamecock fans, I got to admit, with how much the Bulldogs like him, it might be hard to reel in Kylan Fox. So South Carolina has got to turn their attention, in my eyes at least, probably to some other targets like Michael Smith, who again, has a lot of high-end potential. Maybe there's a couple of areas that could be refined at the next level, but again, it's clear that he's got a high ceiling, and he's someone that could be bringing a big impact on the offensive end to whatever team he goes to. So, this is a big deal for South Carolina to make it to this next phase and Michael Smith's recruitment. And, of course, with him being a 2024 prospect, it'll be a good while before he makes a final decision. So we'll have to see what happens with all that as time wears on. But that's going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope that y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. As always, what are y'all's thoughts on what my statement was at the beginning of the show? Do you think that both the Vanderbilt and Florida games could be must-win games depending on how that Vanderbilt game plays out? Also, what are your thoughts on Vanderbilt's defense? If you have watched Vanderbilt at any point throughout the season, and what do you think of the Gamecocks making the top eight list for Michael Smith from the 2024 recruiting class? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts, as always, down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube. And, of course, if you're listening to today's show on an audio podcast app, you can feel free to send me a message at A-Line underscore SC on Twitter. And I'll try to respond to any comments that you have for me as quickly as I see it. And one more time, I want to thank y'all for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. For your next listen, I would like for y'all to go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, where you can find the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and also the take of the day, a special segment that they do over on the Locked On Sports Today podcast. This podcast is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts daily. But with that being said, y'all, once again, that does it for me on today's show. I hope that you have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. 